0: you're listening to The Nature of Things, this episode was originally recorded July 23, 1993. Well, they're at it again, those people who claim I dote on flowers and birds too much and give short shrift to the quadrupeds. That's true, probably. My defense is that many of the four-footed clan are hard to find in the wild, except for those who know the signs. Bits of hair on barbed wire fences, footprints, nibbled twigs, disturbed pathways in the weeds, and yes, even scats, as we euphemistically label the droppings. Still, people do have many serendipitous encounters with wildlife, and many are unabashed animal lovers. The lore and mystique that surrounds the secret lives of the mammals has proved a literary bonanza for people like uh, Ernest Thompson Seton Thornton Burgess, and Joel Chandler Harris. I went to school to each of these writers, urged on by my mother, who loved both nature and literature. It didn't take me long, however, to discover that there was quite a gap between the actual and the charming, wise fables of Uncle Remus, or the fact-fancy gossip of Jenny Wren. Reading Seton, a tradition for Boy Scouts of my day, led me to Alice Murray, John Burroughs, John Muir, and Henry David Thoreau, a kind of graduation that helped me to gain perspective on the myths and the mystique. I learned early, for instance, that the sly fox, the mischievous rabbit, the dim-witted bear, and the cantankerous coon were logical but unrealistic uh, anthropomorphism imputing human motivations and character traits to creatures for whom human motivations would be a fatal weakness. How should we look at mammals and their lifestyles? First, I think, we should see them as role players, bent on fulfilling their own destinies, without guile and therefore without judgment or moral turpitude. Mammals, like other creatures, are remarkably crafted to fulfill a special function in the vast machinery of nature. In assessing these roles, we might look at teeth and those other anatomical features designed to process food. Teeth, jaw attachment, and digestive system combine to require the weasels, or the cats for instance, to restrict their diets to meat. They are not cruel villains who slaughter out of meanness. They are indeed victims of their makeup. What, what is hard to understand, it seems, is that this role is important to the species whose numbers they control. Similarly, deer and beaver and bison are confined to the vegetarian diet. Their dentition is designed for nipping, grinding, and crushing, and their complicated digestive tracts designed for retention and reduction of hard-to-digest plant materials. Included in the process are indwelling bacterial and protozoal commensals, who aid in the process of digestion. Many mammals are capable of processing a broader spectrum of food. Possum, bear, raccoon, fox, and coyote feed on both plant and animal materials. We call them carnivores, eaters of all, realizing that they are foragers and scavengers as well as predators. They have special adjustments of dentition and digestive tracts to allow them to be nourished by plant as well as animal food. Therefore, Aesop's fox could dote on grapes or chicken making it a proper medium for the elucidation of human frailties. I believe that no animal has been invested with more human traits of technological know-how and preordination than the beaver. The beaver is one of the few animals where a cause-and-effect behavioral relationship can be discerned. Beaver cut and dismember trees and build dams to create favorable habitat. They use some sort of instinctual insight in choosing locations for dams, and in achieving maximum advantages from the sites they choose. They are extremely energetic and persistent, and for all of that, they know when to abandon a dam site and move on. Some animal lovers have tended to impute to them a landlord's mentality. The best I can say about this is that the evidence is circumstantial. Beaver do create habitat for a huge spectrum of plants and animals, from cattails to wood ducks but there is no reason, I can see, to presume that this is their intent. When they abandon a site and the dam is washed out, they don't come back to rescue the stranded aquatics. As engineers and woodsmen, beaver often make classic, sometimes fatal errors. Amazingly, they often also make corrections that save the situation. As a former dam builder myself, I learned a lot from observing the mistakes and the corrections of beavers. That is the best way, I believe, to react to mammals. I like the Iroquois approach, which is much less a deification than an honored brotherhood. They revere wildlife for what it can contribute and teach, not simply for the human traits with which they can endow them. Well, that's all I have for today. This is John Weeks saying thanks for listening. Tune in next week and keep it natural.